Well, happy Mother's Day to all of our fantastic moms here today. So glad and honored to have you here at The Crossing. And I also want to wish a happy Mother's Day to everybody who's joining us outside of this room, everybody at the Southeast Campus, all of those watching online, our microsites. Let's go ahead and give them a big hand as well. Well, being a mom is a tough job because as a mom, you're expected to be a nurturer, a coach, a cheerleader, a taxi cab driver, an arbitrator, a psychologist, a therapist, a tutor, an ER doc, a banker, a theologian, a chef, and a mind reader. And the thing that goes, and the thing that goes with motherhood is mom guilt. Because when you're at work, you feel guilty that you're not at home with your kids. When you're at home with your kids, you feel guilty that you're not doing something else. And dads don't have that same kind of guilt. See, moms think, I should have made the kids a homemade breakfast this morning. Dads think, they ought to be glad we even buy them breakfast in the morning. (laughs) Moms think, I should have made cupcakes for my kids' class on their birthday. Dads think, I'm glad I remember to drop my kids off to class on their birthday. Moms think, I can't believe that I'm late in picking them up from practice. Dads think, I had to walk home from practice, uphill, both ways, in the snow. And so moms, we celebrate you today. And we want you to feel honored and appreciated. And every Mother's Day, I like to pray a prayer over our moms, because here's the deal with all of you, is the only ones who have any idea of the weight that you carry are other moms in this room, but nobody really knows. Nobody completely knows that the burden that you feel, the weight that you carry, but God does. And I just think it's just appropriate for us just to go to God and just to ask God to begin to fill in those gaps. And so I just want to pray for all of our moms right now at this time. Let's just bow in a word of prayer. God, we thank you for the gift of our moms. God, we pray for young moms and tired moms and those moms who are unsure whether they're doing it right, for the moms who struggle with depression. God, would you encourage them today. We pray for older moms whose days of raising kids are past, but whose kids are never going to be far from their hearts. We pray for stepmoms who have stepped into a role that can be both challenging and rewarding. God, we pray for single moms, those moms who work hard without the support of a partner, God, would you be their provider and would you be their strength? We pray for mothers today whose husbands and kids have been called away to serve in the armed forces. God, I pray that you would protect their family and would you fill them with your presence. God, we pray for moms with special needs children, for moms with wayward and rebellious kids, kids that are in trouble, God, would you be their strength? We pray for foster moms and spiritual moms and mentor moms. We pray for those moms who have opened up their homes through adoption. And God, we pray for those who may have lost a mom recently. 
God, would you fill them with your presence in the way that only you can do? We pray for the moms who gave up babies for adoption because of love. Would you comfort them? We pray for those whose hearts break today because they're unable to become mothers, that they've longed for and they've prayed for children. God, would you fill them with your unmistakable sense of purpose? And we pray for moms who have buried a child, who have miscarried children, who've had adoptions fall through. We pray that you would comfort their grief, that you are the God who is close to the brokenhearted. And so, God, today we thank you for our moms. We honor them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Let's just give our moms a big hand. Well, we're in week three of our series called Majnik. And I know what you thought when you first saw this word. You're like, they just made that word up. And we kind of did. Because this word right here is simply the word kingdom spelled backwards. So the word kingdom spelled backwards. Now, I don't know what you think of when you hear the word kingdom. Maybe you think of the UK, the United Kingdom, and you can't get enough of the new royal baby. Archie Harrison is just driving you crazy because you want to see all the pictures of him. Maybe you think of a king or a queen on a throne. Or maybe when you hear the word kingdom, you think of this king in his castle with all of his warriors around him protecting him. Well, this is what the people in Jesus' day would have thought of when they heard the word kingdom as well. But when Jesus came to set up his kingdom, he came to set up a different type of a kingdom. And when he taught us how to pray in the Lord's Prayer, he began to to show us this picture of what his kingdom is all about. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when we pray, your kingdom come, what we're saying is, God, we want the way your kingdom is up there to come down here. We want your will to be done in our life as it's done in heaven. But for Jesus, his kingdom, it was an entirely different kingdom than everyone expected. He talked more about the kingdom of God than any other topic. But his kingdom is a backwards, upside-down, majnik kingdom. And it is polar opposite of what we'd expect a kingdom to look like. And this majnik kingdom is a place where the M stands for more is less and less is more. That when we give up our life is when we gain life. It's where the O is where others come first. Nate did a fantastic job of just painting the picture of Jesus putting his his disciples first and serving them. And today, I don't know if there is a more fitting topic on Mother's Day than the D in Majnik, which is descending into greatness. And so if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to Matthew chapter 20, and let me just set the scene for you. That this map right here is a map of Israel. And most of Jesus' ministry was done up here at the Sea of Galilee. That he lived up here at a city called Capernaum. And he did most of his ministry here, most of his teaching here. But Jesus was obviously a Jew. 
And for the Jewish people, there was three festivals a year, three feasts a year that they would travel down to Jerusalem to take part in. And so Jesus would go down and he would be part of this and he would walk with his disciples. These would be meaningful conversations that they just had because this would be a several day walk to get there for these festivals and these feasts. Now, this particular time in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus is going down to Jerusalem for the Passover. This will be the last Passover. This will be just the moments before he is going to give his life for us. And now while we would say you were going down to Jerusalem, Jerusalem was at an elevation, so they always said you would travel up to Jerusalem. And so we'll pick up the story here in Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 17. It says, now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the 12 aside and said to them, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. As they're traveling here to Jerusalem, Jesus is telling them everything that's about to happen to him. He says, when we get to Jerusalem, I'm going to be arrested. And they will spit on me and they will mock me. They're going to flog me and I will be crucified. But on the third day... I will be raised back to life. But they didn't get it. They did not understand it. It says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. Now, when Jesus traveled, as he would travel to different places, many times it wasn't just the disciples who would travel with him. There would be others who would travel as well. That oftentimes there was a group of women that would travel and they would take care of Jesus' needs and the disciples' needs. Families would sometimes be part of the traveling. And the mother of James and John, Matthew just refers to her as as the mother of Zebedee's sons, she was with him. Now her name was Salome and she was probably Jesus' aunt. And so she has some pull with Jesus. And like any mom, she wants her sons to get ahead. So she takes this moment to ask Jesus a favor. Now, this is kind of funny to me because James and John are there, but they let their mommy ask the question of Jesus. What is it that you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. See, everyone thinks that this is the moment where Jesus is going to enter Jerusalem as the Messiah that he's going to overthrow the Roman government, that he's going to take over and he's going to set up this new kingdom and he will be the new king. And so Jesus, she's saying, before you make Israel great again, get it? Make Israel great again? Okay, you'll get that later. (laughs) We realize that you're going to be powerful in this kingdom. Can my sons be the next two most powerful people in your kingdom? I mean, Jesus, after all, you are my nephew. I helped raise you, so you kind of owe me on this. I mean, this is just my ask. And he says, you don't know what you're asking. Jesus said to them, talking about James and John, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? See, I love this because even though it's James and John's mother who asked the question, Jesus 
just directs his words to James and John. Now, I'm trying to picture how this all went down. I'm trying to picture if she's saying, okay, boys, now's the time. Let's go ask Jesus now. You know, let's go ask Jesus now if you can have these positions before he gets there and he takes over. And they're probably thinking, well, you know, she's Jesus' aunt. And so she's going to get a better response than we will. So we're just going to let her do this. And Jesus asked them, can you drink this cup? Can you suffer what I am about to suffer? Because they aren't headed to Jerusalem for his inauguration. They're headed to Jerusalem for his crucifixion. And they just answer, we can. They answered. Their response is, of course. Of course we can handle this. This is like when your kids beg you to buy the dog. And you try to give them that speech. And you say, if I buy this dog, I mean, you're going to have to walk him. You're going to have to feed him. You're going to have to clean up after him. Are you ready to do this? Oh, yes, we are. I mean, we'll do that every single day. They're like, of course we can do this. Now, remember, this is all about being in the most powerful seats, being the greatest in Jesus' kingdom. That's what all of this has to do with. They want to be the greatest. And Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. Jesus says, you are right. You will drink this cup. You will suffer. In fact, James will become the first disciple who will be killed for the faith not long after the resurrection. And John will be tortured and he will spend his final years as a prisoner on an island called Patmos. So they will suffer. Jesus is saying, I can promise you persecution, but only my father can promise promotion. Now don't miss this because even Jesus practices submission. He says, these decisions of power, they belong to my father. And he yields this call to his heavenly father. It says, when the ten heard this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Now, they weren't indignant because their question was so insensitive to Jesus. They were mad because they didn't ask first. They were mad because they didn't have their mommy there to go ask Jesus if they could have these powerful seats. And it starts this argument over who's the greatest. They begin to argue and they're starting to fight over who's going to get to sit in the important seats in Jesus' kingdom. And Jesus pulls them aside and he spells out what leadership is all about in the kingdom of God. And he's going to say to them and he's going to say to us that when you're a leader, when you have authority over people, here is how you do that. That if you're going to be my follower, Jesus would say to you, then you have to follow my example. Says Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. He says, You know how the rest of the world works. You know how this works. You know how those who have power, how they work. They leverage their authority for their own benefit. They walk around and everyone knows that they're in charge, and everyone scurries around in fear to meet their needs. Well, let me bring this a little bit closer to home. Let me bring this into your home. 
Because you know how the rest of the world works. How your boss lords his authority over you. You've seen how husbands demean their wives. You've seen wives nag and insult their husbands. You've seen kids who disrespect their parents. You see people who try to one-up one another to make themselves look important. And Jesus would say to you, not so with you. Not so with you. This may be how the others do it, not so with you. This may be how other kingdoms work, not so with you. Because in this upside-down kingdom, Jesus says, if you're going to be one of my followers, if you're going to follow me, then you have to lead like I lead, and this is how I lead. He says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. See, this is the way leadership works in the kingdom of God. And the disciples are probably thinking, I don't think that's going to work, Jesus. You know, when you say that to become great, we must be the servant, and whoever wants to be first must be the slave, I don't think that's going to work. And maybe you hear those words, and you think the same thing. It's like, well, that probably works really well in the church, Shane, but that's not how the real world works. Because in the real world, you have to watch your back. In the real world, you have to protect your position. Listen, you you need to hear this. In the upside-down kingdom of God, greatness is defined by how you serve. This is what leadership is all about. If you are a leader, this is what it's all about. If you're going to be in Jesus' kingdom, you descend into greatness. And then Jesus goes one step further, and he talks about himself. He says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus saying, hey, this idea of serving, it's not just for you guys. This is the way that I lead, and you know that I'm the Messiah. And as the Messiah, I didn't come to be served. As the Messiah, I came to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. Now, this word that we translate as ransom Now, for the Jewish people, they would use that word that we translate here. They would use that word in reference to how God rescued the Jews from slavery in Egypt. How God paid the ransom to get all of the children of Israel out of Egypt. That's how the Jewish people would use it. Now, for the Greek people, they would use this word of talking about the price that was paid for a slave, that you pay the ransom for the slave. Either way... The implication is clear. Jesus saying, it is my life that pays the ransom to rescue you. That I am paying your debt with my life. And by his death, Jesus descended into greatness. See, this is what greatness is all about. It was just a couple chapters before this in Matthew chapter 18 where Jesus talked about greatness on another occasion when they were arguing about who was the greatest. And Jesus says this. He says, I tell you the truth. Unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child 
is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Do you want to know what the most endearing quality is of another person? It's humility. It's to see humility in them. See, it's people who don't think too highly of themselves, and we all know this, but we just don't all practice this. Haven't you been around someone who really wasn't that important, but they wanted you to think that they were more important than they really were? And then you've met somebody who in your mind, they were really important, and they made you feel important. See, it's, it's interesting because even pastors do this. Let me tell you what happens in a pastor's gathering. When pastors get together, they start talking about, well, how big is your church? Well, how many people do you have serving? I mean, it becomes this bragging point. You're like, who cares? I was meeting this pastor um, a while back for the first time we had never met before. And we were not five minutes into the conversation. And he was telling me that he was on a first-name basis with another famous pastor. Now, if I told you this famous pastor's name, everyone in this room would know him. And so this guy tells me, he says, I have his number on my phone, and he shows me. (laughs) And then he says, I am one of 80 people that he follows on Twitter. And so he was trying to show me how important he was. And my thought was just the opposite. I'm like, this is weird. I really don't care. (laughs) I don't care who you know. And why are you telling me five minutes into our conversation? See, in this upside-down kingdom, humility is the pathway to greatness. Humility is the pathway to greatness. Greatness is defined by how humble you are. And how much you're willing to serve. That's greatness in the kingdom of God. And it is upside down. If you want to be great, then you be great at humility. You be great at serving others. See, I don't know if there is a better example of this than our moms. Because our moms know how to do this. Our moms know how to serve in humility. That we have so many in this room that most of our moms raised us in humility. It's been four years since I lost my mom. And as I look at the pictures of her in her last few years, my mom blossomed into this incredible child of God in her last years. Before I was born, my mom had several miscarriages. And as a result, she had a nervous breakdown and she was institutionalized. Before my mom died, she told me about this experience. We never talked about it before because it was always that family secret that nobody ever brings up. But when I was sitting in the hospital room with my mom just a couple weeks before she passed, she told me the story and what it was like. She said that when she had a nervous breakdown, that she's very sensitive to medication. And she believes that they were over-medicating her to the point that she was almost non-responsive. This was back in the 60s when they didn't know how to treat mental health issues. And my dad always told us kids, he said originally we were told that she would never come home. That she would never come home. Well, after months and months and months of this, She decided to stop taking her meds cold turkey. She walked out of the hospital and my dad took her home. 
And because of this, my dad took care of everything. He never wanted to take the chance that she would relapse into another nervous breakdown. And he served her like Jesus would serve her. But it didn't come without challenges. As a kid, I didn't always understand my mom's mental health issues. But it affected every one of us kids in a different way. I'm the youngest of four kids. And our home was somewhat dysfunctional because there was always this fear that my mom couldn't handle the stress. And so we just had this dysfunctional house just kind of tuned around to don't do anything that could cause mom to have another nervous breakdown. We'd always hoped that my mom would die before my dad because we didn't know how she could function without him. But it was my dad who died first. And my mom found herself a 60-year-old widow. And as a 60-year-old widow, she had never used an ATM machine or an ATM card. She had never written a check. She had never filled a car up with gas. My brother showed her how to pump gas on the way home from the funeral home. But those final 15 years was the greatest gift that God gave her and gave us because her relationship with Jesus blossomed. For the first time, she came alive. She started volunteering at our church. She joined some intensive Bible studies. She started serving other people. She adopted older widows to take care of them and younger ladies who needed a, a mom figure in their life. And she descended into greatness and she found her greatest calling of her life. Because this upside down, backwards kingdom of God, it doesn't make sense to the world. But what we know is humility is the pathway to greatness. Humility is the pathway. And Jesus says, whoever wants to be first must take, their, take the last place and be the servant of everyone else. If you're a parent, what does this look like for you to serve your kids in humility? If you're a middle or high school student, what specific ways can you begin to serve your parents and to serve your mom today? Ladies, this dynamic, it will change your relationship with your husband or your boyfriend. Men, there are some women in this room right now that are praying that you hear what I'm saying. <laughs> Jesus says this is what greatness looks like. Everybody else leverages, the, leverages their influence for themselves. Not so with you. Not so with you. Everyone else puts themselves first to get ahead. Not so with you. It's not the way God's kingdom works. In God's kingdom, we descend into greatness through humility and serving. I want to show you this scripture again because I just think children are the perfect example of what this looks like for us. Jesus just says, I tell you the truth. Unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so I was just thinking about how children approach life. There's something special about children. There is something special about watching them. 
You look at children, and they're blind to color and social class and dress. None of that matters to them. They are completely dependent on their parents. Kids, they still get excited about Christmas. They don't get stressed. They know how to enjoy the moment. Children, they're not afraid to make new friends. They hate to sleep, but they have no trouble sleeping. They never get tired of asking questions. They want to be just like their mom and just like their dad because those are the heroes in their life. They're not afraid to dance, and they don't care what anybody thinks when they do. They may tattle, but they don't gossip. They live off hugs and kisses and candy. See, that's what it is to be a child. And here's what Jesus is saying to us. It's time for you to bring some of that childlike faith back into your life. On this Mother's Day, it's time for us to look at the children and to say that's what it means to function in God's kingdom. And so I just want to close our time in prayer. And maybe for you, it's just saying, I want to be like that. I want to be all that God has created me to be and to be humble like a child. God, we thank you for today. And we thank you for this day that we can honor our moms and show appreciation to our moms. God, and what an example they are to us of what it means to just be humble and to serve And God, for all of us, God, we want to be humble like children where we just see the delight in their eyes, that sparkle that comes with living just a a clean life. So God, would you bring that into us? Would your kingdom come into us? Would your will be done in all of us? And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.